If I could get a time machine and, uh, and bring it here right now, I would. I checked Amazon. They're on back order. Uh, so it, it might be here Monday, but if not, uh, what I want to do this morning is kind of just give us a little walkthrough of what this past week looked like, and then uh, every time I'm up here, I like to just kind of give you a challenge. So as we started this entire week, uh, we had one big major theme. Spark Studio is, is building on creativity. It's building on the arts. We have music. We've got science side of things. We have the, the actual art side of stuff. We have the, the creativity side with our snacks letting kids' brains just open up. But the, the major theme that we were looking at was that we're created in Christ and we are designed for God's purpose. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that is what, like, the, the root of what we want our kids to know, that God loved them, God made them, and our purpose is here is for God's purpose. It's not for ourselves. And I could end it right there. I could say amen. We could go home. We could have lunch early. But there's just a little bit more I want to share with you. We started Monday off um, talking about creation, how God is our marvelous creator. Our kids were up here singing this song, and it's not just words, they meant it. Uh, when we look at scripture, we might start and say, okay, creation, boom, easy. We're going to page one, Genesis 1-1. The first five words literally says, in the beginning, God created, and believe it or not, like I, when I talk to our kindergartners and first graders, I talk to our second and third grade, those that knew we're like, this is where we're going. And I throw them for a complete loop. Because the thing is, is we, can, we, we naturally open a book. We open our Bible, and we want to start at the beginning. And we see that. We see what God's true intentions were. He wanted to make something, all right? He made it in that six-day window. He rested on that seventh. We know that man was there. He was here. He was given a job. He was given a plan. And we messed it up. But the thing is, is, God and his perfection, God and his love for us continued to give us ways. He designed a pathway for us. So as we started on Monday looking in our scripture, we looked right past those first five words. All right, We didn't even go into the second chapter, believe it or not. We kind of jumped along in history, and we went to God's chosen people, the Israelites. We're looking through the Old Testament, and uh, through the entire Old Testament, the Israelites were given a lot. They were given protection. They were given guidance. When they were traveling, they were given leaders. Um, when they finally started settling, they had a guy named Samuel, and Samuel was a, a judge, and he was kind of uh, overseeing everything that was happening for the Israelites. And then Samuel had some sons, and they became judges, and his sons did not quite live up to what they were supposed to do as judges. They were not quality leaders. So the Israelites started questioning Samuel, and they said, everybody else around us has a king. We want a king. Man, if that's not like children's ministry in a nutshell, everyone gets a cookie. I also want a cookie. All right, he's got rainbow goldfish. I have to have the same number of green in my bag as him. If not, the day is ruined. The Israelites said, I want a king. We want a king right now. Give us a king. And Samuel goes, Guys, slow down for a second. Talks to God and says, God, they are demanding this king. They are not pleased with me. They are absolutely not pleased with my, my sons. And God said, go ahead. But the thing is, is they were wanting something that they could physically see here on earth. They wanted that earthly peace. They wanted that king. And so here comes along King Saul. It was good. 
honeymoon phase was great. They got their king. Things were going together well. But it wasn't quite right. We know that in Deuteronomy uh, 7, 6, the, the scripture tells us that the Israelites are God's chosen people and that he had given them everything. And as we work our way through, we know that in 1 Samuel 8, 6, that God instructed Samuel to obey the people. And so he told them what was going to have, have happened. But then God said to this, he says, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me as their king. The Israelites were, were so pushy in the fact that they wanted something here earthly that they completely forgot the, the one person, the ruler, the person who created everything, the marvelous creator was there. So as we fast forward a little bit, we know that King Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin, and we can see this in the book of Acts, chapter 13, uh, when they, being the Israelites, asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, who was their king for 40 years. I'm not quite 40. I'm 30. That's a long time, almost 30. That's a long time. You can only imagine what 10 more years of craziness might look like. And after removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found that David, the son of Jesse, to be the man after my own heart who will carry out all of my will. From this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought the Israel, the Savior, Jesus. So we kind of, we, we wrapped up day one telling the kids about King Saul and introducing this guy named David. And that was it. We gave him a taste. All right, we threw some, we threw some bread in the water. We gave him some crumbs. The kids wanted to come back. So they came back for day two. Where we started talking about God, who, again, designed us for his purpose, but he uniquely designed us for his purpose. We aren't just to come here and be drones just sitting here, worshiping out all day long, being the exact same. He made us individual. He made us with love. He gave each of us individual talents, skills, and abilities. Those of us that can sing, play guitar and piano, those that are skilled with, with sports. But we knew that we as Christians... We can continue to testify how God has orchestrated moments in our lives for a bigger purpose. We know that there are things that we do, things that we say, people that we meet. All of that is for us to bring glory to God. When we look back and we see what God has given us, we know our experiences are in, in our early life is preparing us. We can look at a piece of scripture from Romans 8, 28, and it says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. In comes King David. When we know we have Saul here, and Saul has a son, and he is planning for his son to take over this kingdom, and things aren't going well for Saul. And Samuel recognizes that, and Samuel being faithful to God, he goes to God and says, hey, and God says, go out. You're going to find this guy. Uh, his name is Jesse. Jesse has seven sons. And when you get there, you're going to meet their sons. And he saw the first one. His name was Eliab. Dude was strong. He was handsome. All right. Probably looked a lot like me. And uh, I mean, just saying. But the, God looked at, at Samuel and said, ignore Eliab. Keep going. So he goes to son number two. Doesn't work. He doesn't get the rose. Number three, number four, number five, number six. 
Samuel's like, yo, Jesse, here's the thing. God sent me here to come and find this king. He by chance happened to have another son. He goes, well, let me tell you this. He's the youngest. He's outside. He's uh, herding some sheep right now. Um, let me go call him in. So Jesse pops his head out the window, and he goes, yo, David, come here. Samuel had no clue where David was at. He couldn't even see him. He wasn't in the room. And with that, we knew that David was strong. Like, I mean, taking care of sheep all day. He's probably throwing them up on his shoulders, probably carrying three or four. Like, but dude, his heart was pure. And that's what God saw. He knew that. He knew that this was a shepherd who was able to take care of sheep. And that was the, the plan. That was the design for David. Because ultimately, he would be taking care of his kingdom. Those were his sheep. As we continue to look through scripture, we get to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. It says, humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. This is a prime example. Literally, Samuel was in a house, couldn't see David. God knew that David was in that field. God knew David's heart. So within the first few days of our VBS, I, I started telling our kids that we, we had a motto. It kind of went right along with our theme. And our motto literally started talking about how we are created and we are designed. That's day one, that we have a marvelous creator. And day two is that we are uniquely designed. And they know that because I tell them that they are created and that they are designed. Boom. Easy. Then we get to day three. We have significantly fast forward. We know that David has been brought to the kingdom, unknowing to Saul, has then been brought on as a helper. Saul is having some like nightmares. He's being tormented. His heart is, is darkened, darkened and saddened. He cannot find any type of rest, any type of peace. And someone says, hey, there's this kid named David. He's got a great voice. He can play the lyre. He'll soothe this. So David comes by, and he's soothing Saul's heart. And he's, he's kind of calming him down. And Saul says, I like you. I'm going to keep you here, and you're going to be my armor bearer. Man, look at God's design. The king that is supposed to come here, that's supposed to be the, the, the ancestry before Christ, has no clue what's happening, pulled out of the field with the sheep. Okay, He did not wake up knowing he was going to be king. He was taken away from that everyday job, brought here literally to play music for a king, and has now been given the perfect opportunity to watch the person in which he is going to take their job, their role. He is learning from their mistakes. He is learning how to be a good king, how to be a fair king, how to be a loving king. He already knows, God knows his heart is pure because of who he is. That design was set up for him. He got to see what was happening. But we know that this is to set up the lineage that we are to get to Christ. We know that we saw in that Acts verse that he is, that is going to be the descendancy from David. So all the pieces are put into place. We know that God created us. We know that we are designed. And so we look at day three that Jesus is the king that God promised to save us. We talked about King Saul. We talked about King David. And now we are on to King Jesus. We fast forwarded quite a bit through the Bible. We jumped over a lot of scripture. Long ago, God had promised that a king of all kings would one day be born, and this king would be through the line of David. And as we saw through some of David's early life this week, David only had a glimpse of his own story, but was going to be a part of the bigger picture of our redemption. 
For hundreds of years, God creatively and patiently worked on his plan so that when the time came to completion, God sent his son to redeem his people. Now, this isn't just something I wrote. That's actually in scripture. It's in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Everything had to play according to the plan. It was the design that was made by God. It wasn't just something that he said, hey, I'm going to flip a switch. We're going to fix it overnight. It had to happen. Jesus was born into the world according to God's perfect plan for the fulfillment of God's Old Testament's promise. And through God's plan unfolded in David's life, each moment in Jesus' life carefully moved him closer toward this plan. Closer toward this plan of fulfilling and redeeming his people, saving them from sin. This really proved exactly how incredible God was. And when it comes to his plan and his design, and his, the people in Israel couldn't begin to imagine what was about to come their way. So if we kind of think, you know, just a couple months ago at Easter, the week before Jesus rose, the week before he conquered death, he's fulfilling this prophecy. He's telling his disciples to go into town, to untie the donkey, to bring it back to me. They're coming into town. He's riding on a donkey. And it was great. I was sitting there in the Bible study time, and I looked, and I said, Mr. Danny, donkeys, talk to me about it. Do they smell? And he goes, they're the worst. Like, if this is supposed to be the king, the Messiah, and he's coming into town on what would be this nasty, smelly donkey. But the people of Jerusalem, they knew better. So they're laying down the cloth on the ground. They're fanning him with these palm leaves. They're yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which means save now. We see that in Psalm 118.26, David wrote this right here. He says, he who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. As those people, as the Israelites, as the, as the, as the Jews that are here in Jerusalem, they're sitting there, they're yelling out Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he. They know what the prophecies say. They know that the king is going to come from the descendancy of David. They know it's here, but they don't know what this plan looks like. They just know that they want a king. They've, been, they've so wanted a king for so long, but they know that, that this king, this man, this person, is going to be their savior. Are they in for a rude awakening when they realize how that salvation happens? We get to day four. And it's tough because we know that Jesus came into town treated as a king was then put up on a cross, treated as a criminal for a crime he didn't commit. He even at one point said, God, if there's any other way, go ahead and make it happen. But he was obedient in what it was. And so Jesus fulfilled God's plan to save us. I can think of several times when I got something that I didn't deserve. Uh, one time I called my grandmother a mean name and I still got extra dessert. Uh, also got detention one time because there were a lot of kids in class who didn't do their homework and uh, yelled at a teacher, and so we all got it collectively. There are probably moments in your life you can think about where you got something you didn't deserve, either something really good when you had done something terrible, or you got something, that, some form of punishment when you felt it wasn't warranted. We, we deserve that punishment. We, we as sinners deserve that punishment. We don't deserve the grace that God has given to us, has extended to us, It's an unexpected blessing. Christ had done nothing wrong, yet false accusations ultimately led him to the cross. Jesus is the only person to live, never to sin, was condemned to receive the death 
of a criminal, but there is more. We're looking through the scripture and then through the, the, the text of what's there. Um, there were multiple gentlemen that were arrested. And there was just this tiny little brief section, tiny, where someone looks and says, did Jesus, like, was this crime actually committed? And there was just a fraction where they thought maybe we should just let him go. But before they did that, looked over at the next gentleman beside him who was a, who was a murderer. That crime was very there. And they said, you know what? Crucified. Boom, done. Gave the penalty across the board. What would have happened if just that one little split decision, someone said, oh, we'll change our mind. Prophecy not fulfilled. Our salvation wouldn't be met. We get here in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says right here, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And that for the wages of our sin in Romans 6 is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we look in Romans 5, 8, that God proves his own love for us, that while we're still sinners, he died for us. Presented this out to the kids and let them know that all of this, the scripture is here, what is written out for them, because of all of this, when we hear the story of Jesus' death, we respond in deep gratitude. Jesus stood in our place. As Jesus faced death, he knew what was coming. He did so with an understanding that he was fulfilling God's plan and that had been in motion from the foundation of the world. As we see from Jesus' prayer in the garden, as we see from everything that led up to that point, we know that Christ was obedient. His sacrifice was for us. Knowing something that is part of God's plan does not mean that it will make it easier. We can read that. It's really easy for us to read Christ dying on the cross, but it is so hard for us to actually fully understand and fully grasp that, to take that in. Whether it's a hard decision in life that we have to make, uh, maybe there's things that it's monetary sacrifices for our family, it's a call to missions away from home, difficult conversations with a friend, or any other circumstances we face. We have to follow God's plan, even when it's not easy. There are going to be moments that we're going to be like Christ and say, God, if there's any other way, make it be, make it happen. But at the end of the day, when God says, do this, go this place, serve this capacity, that is on us. In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. You have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Amen. We're going to have suffering, but the thing is, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because Christ has already conquered that. He's telling us to be, create, be courageous. After he rose from the grave, he came back. He's talking to his disciples. He spent some time with them, and then he took them to the Mount of Olives. And when he, from there, he ascended into heaven. There was this huge cloud, and literally Jesus said, hey, hold on for a second. You're going to go back to Jerusalem, but before you leave, I'm going to leave you with something. The Holy Spirit's going to be there. Can I tell you that that is something that completely confuses kids? We went from having a physical person, a person they can see, someone that was, that was literally on a cross, a person that they can see an empty tomb, all those visible things. Remember, humans see things that are visible, but God sees our heart. It is so hard to get the, the, the meat, to get the purpose behind the Holy Spirit to a kid, and that's where our role is. We have to invest in their lives. We have to explain to them. We have to love them. We have to pray that they are understanding that the, when the Holy Spirit is moving in their life, that they can hear it. 
Because these disciples were just kids. It doesn't matter how old they were. They were kids at this time. They got there. They're literally sitting in the upper room of this house. They look out the window. There's this huge amount of fire. Okay? Any normal person who looks out a window and sees fire is probably going to scream, probably going to yell, maybe run the other direction. Okay? Maybe today they're taking a picture, putting it up on TikTok. I'm not sure. Thank goodness it wasn't around when Jesus was here. But when he gave them the Holy Spirit, a complete transformation happened. The disciples literally started speaking other languages. I was explaining to the kids that the early in Scripture in the Old Testament, there were folks that thought that they could reach God. Um, and when they did, they built the Tower of Babel. And when that happened, he knocked it down, and they started talking in other languages. So they couldn't communicate, so they couldn't try to form this way to get closer to God in a physical sense because they had to get to know him in a heavenly sense, in a spiritual sense. And so from here, all the disciples started speaking new languages. Well, imagine the type of ministry we could do if we could look at a ball of fire and all of a sudden I'm speaking Spanish, French, and German. The number of people I could reach, ooh, got a little, little heart rate action going on. But the thing is, is our motto for the week wasn't just created and designed. It was created, designed, and empowered. Our kids were being told that they are empowered, that not only we were created in Christ, that we were designed for God's purpose, but we are now empowered through the Holy Spirit. We've seen God's creation. We've seen the design for the Israelites. We've seen the design in our lives. We know that God has followed through with everything that he has said, that Jesus lived the life, he followed the plan to the T and died on the cross for us. We get into Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, So when they had come together, they had asked the Lord, Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That day, Peter goes, and he's talking, and there's about 3,000 people out there, and those 3,000 people get to hear the wonders of Christ. And the following day, more people hear, more people hear, and that's the foundation of the first church. That's what we have right there. Everything up to this point had been brand new for the disciples, and I couldn't imagine the emotions, the looks on their faces, the challenges that were going to be coming toward them. They just lost Christ. They thought, man, he's resurrected, now he's come back. Our friend is back, and then he says, guess what? I'm leaving you again, but he's giving them the Holy Spirit. Just like he's given us the Holy Spirit. It's here for us, for us to take, for us to accept. But for many of us, uh, trying out new things is intimidating. If someone looked at me and said, hey, your best friend is now gone. You can speak three new languages, and you're supposed to go to an entirely another country. Like, as a person... I'm probably going to question that. That's when the faithfulness of the disciples come in and they're talking to, they're praying, they're spending that time. Our mission to make disciples and to be Jesus' witnesses is not dependent on our own strength, though. God calls us, but he also empowers us. He doesn't expect us to muster up our own strength. He's equipped us for this mission through, through the Holy Spirit, and it's in the Holy Spirit's strength that we're able to grow in his godliness. Now, like I said, if we could have gone through all five days, you could have been here, sang every song, done every craft, eaten every snack, been in every Bible study. We could have gotten even deeper. And like in 25 minutes, I try to, to create this image of what five days look like. 
And I bring it together because I want you to, to look at our key verse for this week. The kids sang it in our theme song. It's from Ephesians chapter 2, and it's verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We look at that, we know. Awesome, we're created. All right, it tells us that created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we see Jesus in there, which is part of the plan. And he's done this all ahead for us to do. So the good works is us going and, and sharing the gospel and telling others about it. That literally matches the, the created, the designed, the empowered. But if we just take the context of one singular verse, if this is the only thing we see, we don't understand the importance behind just verse 10. So uh, I want to take a look at the, the, 10 verse, the 10 verses through the first uh, part here of chapter 2. Uh, let's just take a look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, You're dead in your trespasses and in sin in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them. In our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Those are the lost, the broken, those that don't know. But we get, we get this, this turning point right here, this turning point in the scripture with what Paul is writing to the, the people of Ephesus here. We get to verse 4, and in verse 4 it starts with this. It says, but God. There's only one way that this is ever going to fix. Our, our ways of this world, our fleshly desires, can only be conquered, be fixed, but it's by the but God who is rich in mercy. All right, remember that punishment we deserved, but we didn't get? It's that mercy right there. Because of his great love that he had for us, that's the grace that we're getting as well. All right, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace, and he has also raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The kids were singing about countless. I tried to, to trick one of the, our little kindergartners. I said, hey, I will give you whatever you want if you can tell me how many pieces of hair are on your head. For about five minutes straight, he didn't say a word. He was listened in, but he's counting one, two, three. He got to about like 72 and then realized he didn't have any numbers higher than that. And uh, it was about maybe this far into his hair. And I was like, you can't, I promise you, by the time you count all the hairs in your head, you will either have lost them all or you have gotten more. And your count is going to be totally ruined. It's not measurable by that. But God knows you. He knows the hairs on your head. You know, it's the stars in the sky and the grass that's in the field. But he knows you. And we can't even count. There's a countless wonders that you have. And if we thought verse 1 through 3 was bad and 4 through 7 was this, this turning point, it gets even better in 8 and 9. Let's take a look. It says, for you are saved by grace through faith. There's nothing that you had to do. It was because Christ died on the cross that you were saved through faith. And it is not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from your works, so that no one can boast. Now we pump the brakes for a second. We're telling the kids all week through our key verse that in Ephesians chapter 2, that we're, to, we're made in this workmanship and we're supposed to go do works. But then literally in the two verses right beforehand, it tells us that 
Um, it's a gift from God, not our works. And we can make that mistake sometimes. We can be good people. We can donate to a charity. We can serve in a capacity. But if we have not quite understood what's happening in verses 4 through 9, we can't do verse 10. We can't fully understand that full creation, that full design, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit if we haven't gotten into that 4 through 9. So let's say all that because I told you I would give you a challenge. I gave our kids two challenges when they were here. There's three types of people. There are verse one through three people, are lost, are broken, those that need to hear God's word, those that have not had the opportunity to be witness to, those that have turned away from him, those that are neglecting him because something in their heart and in their life is preventing them from being able to hear and know God. And that's where it comes to the second group of people, our four through nine. Those are our witnesses. Those are the people that have a relationship that they know that through God, through their faith, and what they have, they know that the, the saved. But if you're in that four through nine window, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and step into that verse 10 window. For you to not only fully understand you're created, that you were designed, and that you were empowered, but for you to go and take that time recognize that your salvation is through faith and through faith alone, but you go into works because God has set that up for you. He uniquely designed you for that. So there's three types of people with two places we're trying to go to to serve one true king. We want our one through three, our verse one through threes to come to note four through nine. We want our four through nines to become a verse 10, and we want our verse tens to continue to go out because those are the ones like our disciples. They're the ones speaking foreign languages. They're the ones that are on mission. They're the ones that are responding to God's love. We do as the disciples did. We have our marvelous creator designed us for that unique purpose, who sent his son to be our king, but even more so to be our rescuer and our redeemer, saving us from a punishment of death because sin and giving us the power because of sin, and giving us the power through the Holy Spirit, we really can't understand that we are created, that we are designed, and we are empowered.